Awesome. So can you guys just uh, start off with introducing yourselves and then the band that you guys are in? Or Catherine Cooper. Um, Adam Cooper. Allison Halo is the band. Awesome. So can you guys, can you start off with a brief history of Alice and Halo, um, more about the beginning and how you guys started? I had, I had been playing in a number of bands in Tempe, Arizona, um, just playing local clubs all through the late 80s and early, early 90s. And uh, one of the bands dissolved and Catherine and I had already been seeing each other at the time. And she just started, um, she jumped in as a singer. Um, and um, well, that's not exactly true. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a revised history. Um, I just started sitting in on some of their practices and then kind of just adding parts, um, either bass lines or guitar lines. And then, then as things kind of devolved with that group, Adam's like, why don't we just do something together? And then, yeah, and the band, but it wasn't intentionally to sing. I was going to play bass. Okay. I was super happy just to do that. But, and I think we had a couple practices in this other band with um, Catherine was playing bass and maybe a little bit of guitar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that band just didn't quite work out. And we just kind of shifted gears. And um, yeah, just, started playing out really quickly after about we wrote a couple songs and then just decided to start playing out and I hooked up with an old friend that was um um actually lived next door to me when I was a kid and uh we kind of connected again and he played bass and he was just a he really, really talented good. guy um Lynn Anderson who went on to play with a lot of other bands in town and so yeah within I think our, our first gig after forming was um I want to say close to three months, something like that. We started playing out. And then right after that, we just started playing clubs a lot and started opening up for national bands. So we only had a small handful of songs, probably, I don't know, enough songs to play a short set. Yeah. You know? So those projects that you guys were a part of or um, contribute to, contributing to Allison's Halo was um, the styles um, similar to what you guys played in Allison's Halo? Um, no, I, I put it a lot more in the camp of maybe like really jangly sixties pop. We hadn't really, um, <laughs> we hadn't really gotten into any effects or I think, I mean, gosh, I think I played with one pedal, like a tube screamer and my amp, that's it. So the sound hadn't evolved and, um, yeah, it was very, very broken down, very simple. Yeah, very bare bones. I'd even I'd even go so far as far as to say it was probably a little bit garagey sounding. Yeah. Okay. Um, but with Catherine's voice, you know, it, it just had a little bit of like sweetness, like you'd get in a lot of '60s, like you know, girl groups. It was a little twee. Yeah. I hear, I, I hear that in your guys's project after Allison's Halo, um, the Insta, the, the, the yeah, Insta, the pay or the pastry heroes. Um, the I forgot what the out the EP was called, but it's very twee. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the band we had before that. Um, <laughs> I'd say it was like a really. Um, yeah, not as developed as that. 
And so what what pushed you guys to go for the sound that ended up being what was like Allison's Halo? What pushed you guys to go that direction? I think it was finally shedding off some of the shedding off some of the influences of the previous band that I was in. And um, just we just started playing with writing songs and centering things around Catherine's voice. And it just seemed to work the more reverb we added. Well, a, a lot of the writing would happen at, where we would be in the room together and then we would just play and just kind of vibe off of sounds. And I think um, we just really got into just kind of experimenting with, with reverbs, with delays, with just crazy sounds. And I think it's the first time we had used more than one pedal. <laughs> and um, yeah, then we kind of just went nuts in that direction. Um, a lot of the a, a lot of the things that I see when I look you guys up online um, is referring a lot to like the beautiful noise um, festival, beautiful noise scene. Can you guys expand on that and like what that what that was um, in Arizona? Yeah, I mean it. It all happened pretty organically. There was just a lot of bands. I mean, for one, geographically, Phoenix is pretty. It's pretty spread out. There's a lot of distance between cities and all the suburbs are very spread out yeah so to get from one side of town to the other when you talk about the greater phoenix metro it's you know it's a good hour and a half and so there were a lot of bands from just all of these different places and somehow we just all kind of like ran into each other found each other ran into each other at record stores and um you know because it wasn't as easy as to keep in touch with you know or find things that is as it is now so um yeah, we just, you know, we were all playing, we were playing, we were playing out pretty heavily. And I think just a few pe random people came to shows and you know how music people are, they just kind of yeah. run into each other at shows. But yeah. I think you're right there, you know, there, there wasn't social media, there wasn't any of that uh, way to connect. So there was a local, well, there still is a local record store called Stinkweeds and the owner of that store, Kimber Lanning, she played drums in another band called Half String. And I think just a lot of people hung out at the record store. And then that's kind of how a lot of people met as well. So so would you guys consider would you consider that record store to be like a main hub? Like yeah, for absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um also during Throughout your guys' history um, as Allison's Halo during your performing era, there's a lot of unreleased tracks that you guys just started releasing in the past, like in the past decade or so. Um, what were the difficulties during the time uh, when you guys were performing that you weren't able to release those tracks? Um, I mean, one, I think it's it wasn't it wasn't for lack of practice because we played a lot. We played a ton of shows. But that really was our focus. We just really loved playing out. And um, recording was always just a pain in the ass for us. <laughs> and, it, and it still is. Um, you know, and we always waited until things sounded great before we would put it on tape. So if something didn't sound great live or wasn't working out in the practice room, we would just put it on the back burner until, you know, we dialed it in. So... Yeah, some of that too is just perfectionism. I mean, it's like there's, we've recorded a lot, but some of it is just not up to snuff, I guess. Or maybe just didn't feel right. Cause I don't think the fidelity was ever, that was never um, 
a roadblock for us. <laughs> we never had fidelity. Yeah, so we didn't care about that. It was more more how it felt when it, when I went to tape. And I mean, you know, even the stuff that we're still working on that was recorded from that era, um, you know, we're pretty we're pretty adamant about not changing the way it was put down to tape, you know, and pull some kind of like magical George Lucas thing, you know, and go back and, you know, add something special, some special effects to it that weren't meant to be there, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and there's a little bit of perfectionism that goes on too. So, you know, we just take a long time to record. It's pretty much it. So with the response back um, when you when Allison Hale's uh, performing, what's the um, what do you guys see the differences now in like your guys's relevancy? Now, when you look up American shoegaze or American like American shoegaze bands, you guys are one of the top ones that will come up with Job 19s or Ariel, um, Allison's Halo, Love Lies Crush, Love Lies Crushing. You guys are pretty notable now in the American shoegaze scene. Was it like that during the time you guys were performing? No, not at all. Not at all. Well, on a national level, I would say there was some, we, we made a little bit of a dent because, you know, a lot of the national magazines were covering us. A lot of overseas magazines were covering us. Um, and there was a lot of interest with, you know, various independent labels and a few majors. It just wasn't a very, it wasn't very well known, I think, nationally when it was happening. It was just pockets of these scenes all over the country that, you know, just didn't catch as, as much as they should have, I think, at, at the time. Yeah. I mean, grunge was huge. You have to remember, like, grunge was everywhere and that's all anybody was listening to and so we were just kind of carving out this little niche of you know sound um where we could and trying to carve out a sound here in town too yeah. because you know there was a lot of this kind of like jangly desert rock going on at the time you know you had bands like the gin blossoms um dead hot workshop um a band called the pistoleros Meat puppets. Yeah, well, I mean, the meat puppets, that kind of straddles a little bit of every genre. But um, yeah, it was tough to carve out anything, especially without the help of social media, you know? It was back in the days where you would go to Kinko's to make flyers. And <laughs> Just word of mouth. And, uh, and yeah, yeah we would spend years at Kinko's making flyers, and then we'd go to the universities and flyer everywhere that we could just to get people to come to a show. So very different than this today. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I definitely think people know about us more now than they did back then. So. Yeah. It's, it's great. Easier, it's easier to get a hold of music now than it was back it then. It really yeah. is. It's it's that's such a magical thing. I I mean, it's so incredible that these young bands can just put their music out, and so many people can have access to it. It's incredible. And that's that's one thing I want to touch upon is um, the difference now when it comes to making music for young artists. Um, it's as simple as having a laptop and having an adapter to plug in a guitar yeah. amp and then your microphone. Um, how does it compare to back then to now? Like, I don't know. I mean, we just we just went from working with two track cassette, just a cassette player, just recording stuff in a room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on almost all of our output to date has been on recorded on cassette. So, um, I mean, the jump to digital was like 
so nice and it's so much easier to produce, to write, to track. I mean, vocal wise, you know, we were always limited by tape and now I can throw down, you know, 80 tracks of vocals with no problem and we can play a little bit more. I think that's the problem with us too, is just, we have all these options now. And so we never finish anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, to go from recording on just kind of a combination of two track, four track, eight track is really, and, you know, and then later on with Instant was a, a 12 track machine. Yeah. But so, yeah, it was all analog, you know, and it's like you just and we were pretty, um, you know, we we didn't punch in very much. So, you know, it's like we wouldn't comp high. tracks like they do today where they just get a, a single syllable or uh, just a phrase. You know, we just were really sticklers about going from start to finish with a song. So also just um, just a matter of having the money. So back then you had to either buy your equipment, which was very, very expensive, and then rent out a space or a studio, um, which was very, very expensive, um, or have a label pay for it for you to go record. Um, now it's just, it's just, it's brilliant. You can just do it in your bedroom and have a really great quality um product and just put it out put it out to the world yeah it's so it's it's a lot more accessible now um for anybody i know a lot of i have a lot of friends and peers that are young musicians who that's how they record they record in their bedroom yeah and they're able to come out with full-length albums yeah it's great i mean especially with you know, working within the realm of a bedroom where you can't really crank an amp sometimes, yeah. you know, there's amp simulators, everything. And we've taken yeah. full advantage of that lately. It's, it's great. I mean, I don't know this whole myth of like digital versus analog. I just, I don't understand it. It's <laughs> digital is great. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't always that way. The first, the first, um, Insta, not the first Insta, e, the EP we did on analog, but the first Insta record, we, that was the first thing we'd ever done in digital. And it was really a challenge because um, to get things to sit in a mix right, you know, I think with analog, it was, it's a little easier to um, create a sense of space. I don't know what it is about the analog world that does that, or if it's the compression within tape itself. Um, so with digital, it's a little more challenging. At least it was back then. It sounds a lot better now. And I think it's, I don't think there's any huge difference between the two. So um, uh, one thing I want to touch upon as well is um, it's the visual aspect of uh, the music that you guys create and uh, a lot of other like shoegaze, dream pop or like slowcore bands. It's a very big part um, in your guys' performances or in, your, in the media that you guys release. Was there any visual aspect to your guys' music? I mean, Adam is always, <laughs> he went to school for photography, so he's always shooting images and always, I think in, in at least what I see from you is you're always seeing images that'll go with the music. So I think you see visuals with, with, with what we create as well. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you mean as far as live performance or do you mean just as far as like having visuals affect the music like or videos. the other way around um both i mean uh one thing that like that's that that 
that came to mind when I wrote this question was the dozens music video. I saw that like a lot of it was like live was a life was like shots from live performances, just be um, be reels and like just layering. I thought that really encompassed the song, um, that 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 visual style that you had. It really encompasses the song. Yeah, I mean, there's a haziness to it, maybe a little bit of graininess, you know, like buying really, really um, fast speed film or something, you know, where you just get kind of a control over the grain of what's on the image. Um, I mean, for for the video we did for that dozen, that was the first time I'd ever done anything in video. Um, Yeah, but I had had I had hundreds of hours of just random abstract footage, you know, captured on iPhone, like either iPhone or um, I can't remember what was the was a Spielberg produced movie Super Eight. Yeah, yeah. I said it, it was also you also used that eight millimeter uh, Super Eight millimeter um, footage for it, right? Or like an app. Yeah, it was an app yeah. based around the film, and so I used that. I don't know if it's um I don't know if they still update the app, but it was great. And so I would wow. either play just you know how video looks. It's just very soap opera kind of that kind of yeah. quality. And so we just tried to get away from that. So what I did is I just bought a TV for CRT TV for five bucks at a local Goodwill or something, and then just ran the video through that. And then, so I had the aspect of old TV CRT, but then I also filmed it with the Super 8, so. Wow, I was, trying to, I was trying to figure out how that, how, how you got like the, that effect, but the CRTV, that's, mm-hmm. that, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's built in. I mean, yeah. you, don't have to, you don't have to do a whole lot. And it was, <laughs> And it was a little tiny. I think the screen was only like it's like an eight inch. Yeah, it's like eight inch. inches. They're pretty small. They're pretty yeah. small a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. So, what about the like performance, like a performance aspect? Was there any like visual? Was there any visual aspect to like your performances at all? No, we didn't run any. I mean, it would have had to have been you know projectors back then, and no, we never we never did. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't have the money to do anything like that. I mean, I think yeah. uh, after we played out a while around town, like, you know, the lights would be maybe a little bit low, lower than the normal bands or acts that would come through. But um, yeah, I mean, we're just really just a bunch of shy kids on stage. So the term shoegaze really did apply to us. We it was yeah the, some of those first shows were really difficult for us a lot of introverts in the band so we'll but at the same time i mean you, music can make you do crazy things yeah you now you can we would just throw up afterward <laughs> <laughs> but i mean a lot of the shows that we that we played back then um i mean oddly enough we would we would take just about any gig you know yeah. we would take if a college called to play in the middle of the afternoon we'd take it if a heavy metal club called and said hey we need an opener for two metal bands we would play in between metal bands i mean i have to say the clubs that were in town at the time was a club called the mason jar and it was pure metal yeah it, that's, just like biker bar just it was like biker and the remnants of kind of like hair metal era and we would play in between metal bands and they had huge light shows they had full stage <laughs> rigging and so the, some of those shows were really amazing even though probably none of the none of our true fans were there you know they may have been scared off by the club itself but 
What was yeah. the response to something like that? You guys, like, what was the response from the audience when you guys would play at those shows? Um, all of the bartenders loved us. And the, and the waitresses. Yeah, the, wa- the waitresses yeah. loved us. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I like to think that most musicians, I mean, no matter what genre you play in, you know, that everyone's pretty receptive to some elements of talent, you know. You know, I could go up and have a conversation with a metal guitarist about his Marshall amp, you know, and, and completely ignore the fact that the music, you know, may have been horrendous. You know, it's like there's there's common elements with all musicians. Yeah. So it was never hostile. We didn't have any. No, beer. I think we didn't have beer like bottles if anything, at us. Um, the bands that we played with in those situations were just like, oh, my God, what are you guys playing through? <laughs> just because we had these massive pedal boards and. <laughs> And at one point, I mean, I was playing through two amps. You're playing. I mean, we just had a huge setup at one point. So it was. And we were usually just as loud as those guys. So that makes people pay attention. Yeah, we were always loud. It was just more a wash of sound loud than grinding metal loud. (laughs) Intensity, yeah. So, um, there's a there's a like a big like comeback and like there's a big like revival in like the shoegaze scene like uh, dream pop and slowcore and like we're seeing it in Philly we're seeing it in the Bay Area we're seeing it also in um in Los Angeles right now which was in which we would never we you wouldn't have seen back in back in the day mm-hmm. um what about now in like Arizona is there still um is there still a shoegaze scene or a beautiful noise scene that's still active there. Yeah, there's um, there there has yeah. been. I don't. I think I, there's there's a few bands. Um, Citrus Clouds. Yeah, Citrus Clouds is probably the most well known one here right now. And then um, oh, there's another band named after um, I think a Love Lies Crushing song, and I can't I can't remember the band name. It's fronted by. Oh, um... I think I actually know Robbie. Isn't there's a band by um, by Love Lies? There's a band that's named after Love Lies Crushing song, right? Ultra Pink Shining Ultra Blast. Blast. That's what it. That's what I think. Oh yeah, that's a Russian. That's a Russian. That's a Russian band. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another band named after. Yeah. There's another one in town, and I mean, I can post you the link later, whatever. Um, they're really good too. There was a band here for a while called Draw, D R A H. And I think they released an EP that was really, really good. But the problem, I think the problem now in Phoenix is there's just not a central hub, you know? There's not a, a club where everyone plays at all the time like there was for us, you know? There was a club called Hollywood Alley back in our day. And it seemed like most of the shows ended up happening there, you know? So, I mean, there's something happening here, sure. And you mentioned like the like the lack of a central hub like a venue where like a lot of the bands would play um i feel like that's that's like a calm that's a common thing now where there's no when it i this i feel like this is an effect from we have this this ability to get whatever type of music we want at any time through the internet there's a lack of subgroups now or subgenres now and then with that, I feel like there's a lack of venues that are there for specific type of scenes or music. Right. So I feel like that has kind of not gone, it's kind of gone away a bit, probably due to that and also the pandemic. So I've, I've heard that a lot. Yeah, I mean, we haven't played out in a long time, so it's kind of hard for us to talk about, you know, 
music scenes that are going on like in the real world. <laughs> but I mean, just um, looking at shows coming through town, um, some of the some of the more popular clubs, they are very eclectic. So you'll have, you know, um, you'll have some kind of twee pop and then it'll be Latino samba night and then it'll be, you know, it's just like every night is something different. So you're right, there's no, there's no just one club that caters to a specific sound. Yeah. And and that's just a survival mechanism, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, especially yeah. after COVID, yeah. They're just they're just trying to book whoever they can to stay in business. So no, that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, so we're at, we're at, we're nearing the end of this interview. Um, I noticed that you guys had done a Kickstarter campaign to release. Um, I forgot what it was. It was the Skylight the Skylight um, EP. Um, what is there any updates on that right now, or is there anything we should expect? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're we're nearly there. We're almost we're almost there. There's just we're waiting for a couple elusive guitar parts that are just that need to be there, but we haven't quite figured them out yet. Um, and a couple of harmony parts. But yeah, it's really, really close. And we have the artwork all the way done. We've got everything lined up for all the swag. It's just, um, you know, there's just there's one song that things don't feel right. It doesn't feel right right yeah. now. The song itself is great. It's probably one of my favorite songs. It's just but, not quite fitting in with, I think the mix we, we're just playing with right now, it's just not fitting in with the rest of the songs. So we just, we're just trying to. I think, I mean, ultimately the, I think the answer will be just add more reverb, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and is this new material or is this unreleased? Is this unreleased material? So it's a mix of both. Oh, okay. There's, um, the bulk of it was done anywhere from, I think, around 95 to maybe 96, 97. And so um, that's the basic part of the track. So we haven't, we haven't had to really add too much guitar. No, the drums are all original. The bass is all original. But the vocals are all brand new. Mm -hmm. All brand new vocals. And in fact, two, I think two... Three of the songs it's all brand new lyrics we just revamped everything we just weren't happy with the lyrics originally they were just kind of like placeholders mm -hmm. to begin with and so dozen. you know yeah there's there's a re-recording of a different version of dozen that's on there which is probably you know most people will recognize that yeah too. but um it's a little bigger sounding it's a little bigger and it and it's a little more the the seven inch single we did of dozen that was I don't know. That was done. We hadn't been pl playing very long it, when we yeah, recorded it was that. One of our first recordings. It was actually the first. Yeah, it was the first song I'd ever mixed, mm -hmm. and the first song we'd ever recorded properly as a band. You know, with decent equipment. The other, we had we had some other early versions of it done with the drum machine, and I don't know. Those might be online. I don't know. I haven't heard them in a long time. Yeah, it's kind of hard finding some of your guys' discography online. Like any, like besides Eye Dazzler, mm -hmm. it's a little difficult. Yeah, there's a stray track here and there, but yeah, pretty much, you know, there's not a whole lot extra after this, to mm -hmm. tell you the truth. I think we have like maybe two songs that were never recorded. Um, and I don't know if we'll ever go back to revisit those. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so this might be the, this might be our total output when this comes out. I don't know. <laughs> I, 
I mean, we have some news. We have some brand, brand new stuff that we've been working on probably the past five years with just Catherine and I. Yeah. And um, we have another five or six songs that Catherine and I had been working on that are almost like um, Allison's Halo 2.0. Um, with us covering the drums and it's it's I just don't know if it fits with uh Allison's Halo it might be under another band we're just not sure yet you guys are not sure yet are you guys are you guys thinking about re, um going towards like the more of the like the indie pop or that twee pop sound you guys were you guys were um you guys were doing before and after Allison's Halo or you probably guys, not probably not yeah, that just requires a lot of work. And I mean, and a lot of people and it requires a lot of personnel. I mean, we always had really good drummers playing on that stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I just don't know if we have the time to devote to yeah. rehearsing that kind of material. It's it's pretty involved with, I mean, as twee and as simple, I mean, it makes it sound like it might be simple pop but it's pretty orchestrated you know and so yeah i don't know if we could ever revisit that and pull it off <laughs> yeah i've heard i've heard that that tweet pop is is, is, a, is a little bit complicated to pull off i don't know if you guys heard of the uk band heavenly but yeah i, I had the, opp the opportunity to interview them as well and um, they were they had pretty big bands it was it was almost they had five or six uh, members in their band at a time where it was live performances. Yeah, and we yeah. did at one point we had someone come in and play trumpet. We had someone <laughs> playing keyboards. We, I mean, we played one of the New York music festivals. Um, oh my God, we were with all of our instruments and bandmates on the subway. <laughs> with a farfisa organ i mean it was crazy it was just crazy yeah yeah i think um i mean anything that we do in the spacier realm um if it's allison's halo or if it's not it's um it's just a bedroom project basically you know okay. studio project but i mean we've got we have another thing in the works that's a little more I mean, it's spacey pop, but a little more based in like 60s, like cinematic, you know, like I, I would put it in that Lee Hazelwood camp, maybe with a mix of like low mix of cigarettes, after, cigarettes after sex. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, really, it's pretty slow and mellow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe I don't want to see it. Atmosphere. Very atmospheric, yeah. but still based in a lot of like 60s and 70s folk but just reverbed out you know a little more like, of like a little more mature it sounds like like the, it's, yeah it's... yeah like us <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah um, what are you guys seeing and um if you guys are paying attention to it what are you guys seeing different uh differently between like the movement now to it back then I mean, it seems like it seems like a lot of bands that are coming out right now are just so well produced, you know, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but a lot of the records just sound great right out of the gate, you know, I don't see much evolution from like scrappy band to really polished band like you do with a lot of bands from like the early 90s. Um, do you have any idea to um, idea of the, why that is? 
I mean, I just think it's access to recording equipment for sure, you know, and there's just a, I mean, whether you go into a really nice studio these days or whether you record at home, I don't know if people can really tell the difference because people are, there's just a lot of really, really great bedroom producers, you know? I think also, I, I think what's happening today too is I think these bands are falling into two camps where you are really relying on the uh, the atmospheric sound, but not developing your your the craft of your song. So there's a lot of bands out there that just have the sound down, but um, they're not crafting their songs enough. And then there's some really great bands that really are starting with great songs and then and then going into that sound and I think those are the bands that'll probably end up doing a lot better and going farther I mean ultimately it's just good songs matter you know melodies matter and I mean every I I mean whether you like to admit or not everyone's a sucker for a good melody you know that's just what it boils down to I mean whatever genre that is, you know, a hook is a hook, no matter how you code it. It's just, most of us like our songs coded a little bit differently, you know, you know, like what's on the radio. Maybe there's, there's a lot of great songs. I just wish it had more reverb. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we're, we're at the end of the interview here was, and you, I, we know about your sky wide EP. And you guys are still working on that, and that should be releasing sometime soon, um, hopefully. Um, besides that, is there anything you guys would like to plug that you guys are coming out with? Any new projects? Um, just the project that we talked about, the slower, mellower stuff. Um, it's called Heavy Sunrise. Is that and, a, a Heavy yeah, Sunrise? That's the name of the project or the name of the band? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, and I mean, we talked about visuals earlier. It's going, there's going to be a lot of videos released for that. We have just, I have just so much footage mm-hmm. and, exciting. you know, I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, we grew up, both of us grew up in the desert here in Arizona. So we always, as kids, you just hated it because it was just so vast and boring, <laughs> but now it's like, it, it's, it can be very inspiring. And so a lot of the footage is like based on that expansiveness of the desert, you know? Yeah, and just that's, like that's it seems like it seems like the perfect environment for what you guys want to create. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I hate to say it, but there might be a little bit of a Western tinginess to it. You know, not Western music, but a little twangy, a little twangy. That's nice. That's nice. Well, I appreciate you guys sitting down, uh, sitting down with me virtually and talking about your guys' band. Sure. Uh, yeah.